of December 2019 here on the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes the not-so-classic genre cinema of yesteryear. I'm talking about Monster Kid Radio. My name is Derek M. Cook. Welcome to the show, and big thanks to the band The Frogenstein for letting us play their song Psycho Rodeo here on the show. The song is from the album Tales from the Planet Mono. The Frogenstein can be found online at thefrogenstein.bandcamp.com or maybe you'll run into them if you happen to be kicking around Perigru, France. Either way, check them out and let them know that you heard about them here on Monster Kid Radio when you're done listening to this episode. Now, this is week one of Dan December. Every December here on MKR, we celebrate the genre contributions of one Dan Curtis. The guy behind Dark Shadows, Night Stalker, Jack Palance's Dracula, a ton of other amazing genre, well, things, whether it's television or film. The man left his mark on what we love, and because of that, this time of year, we're going to talk about the different things that he did for the genre and kind of tie into it a little bit. This time around, we're going to be talking with author Jim Beard. Now, Jim Beard has been on the show in the past. He's a dear friend of the show. He's the man. He's got so many books under his name, and one of them is a Kolchak novel. So he and I are going to talk a little bit about that. We're going to talk about, okay, actually, we're going to talk a lot about that. We're going to talk a little bit about some of his other book projects and some other things he's got going on, but the thrust of the conversation is about how he got involved with writing Kolchak and how he got a really cool cover in the book and a number of other things as well along the way. We're going to play a round of the Classic Five. We're going to talk a little bit about the Adams Family versus the Munsters. It's a fascinating conversation. I had a blast chatting with Jim. Like I said, he's the man. Of course, it wouldn't be an episode of Monster Kid Radio if we don't have our regular segments. Professor Frenzy's got a bedtime story for us, and Kenny is going to take another look at Famous Monsters of Filmland magazine. Before we continue, just want to acknowledge that, uh, yeah, I got a number of messages, uh, communications from people about Dr. Tongue's World of Monster Collectibles segment last week in which the good doctor kind of mixed up the monsters in the Adams family a little bit. Uh, Herman and Morticia, he said, was a couple. You know what? Things happen. I know that he's apologized online, but Mark, you didn't have to do that, man. This was on me. Everything goes through me. I'm sorry I didn't catch it. So, listeners, it's my fault. I know full well that Herman was not married to Morticia. I'm trying to find a joke where I can say something about me being connected to Morticia somehow, but I got nothing. Plus, my wife's in the other room. So, anyway, I know that, uh, yeah, that was on me. So, sorry, Mark. Sorry, gang. Let's get on with the show. See the top double thrill, double chill motion picture program of the year. Curse of the Werewolf in color. <laughs> <laughs> 
the harrowing story of the legendary half-man, half-wolf. His evil beast blood demanded he kill, kill, kill. Plus, the shadow of the cat, a shocking adventure into murder and psychotic fear. Two terrifying hits together. Don't miss them. Dr. Tongue's I Had That Shot, 7129 Northeast Fremont Street. Vintage goofiness from years gone by. Sci-fi and fantasy memorabilia. We specialize in things your mother threw away. And some she didn't. Dr. Tongue's Toys. The Smog Monster, spewing its poisonous venom over the earth. Only one force dared stand up to its overpowering evil. Godzilla. See Godzilla versus the Smog Monster. Two monsters battling for the domination of the earth. Godzilla versus the Smog Monster. An American International Pictures release in color rated G. Godzilla versus the Smog Monster. The battle for life on Earth. Professor Frenzy, it's a show. Professor Frenzy, show. Professor Frenzy, it's a show. Professor Frenzy, show. Welcome to Professor Frenzy's Bedtime Stories, created especially for Monster Kid Radio. My name is Jerry Green. In this segment, I'm going to tell you a story from EC Horror Comics. Today's story is The Hungry Grave. It's from The Crypt of Terror, number 19, the August-September issue from 1950. It was written by Bill Gaines and Al Feldstein, and the art was by Ghastly Graham Ingalls. So sit back and relax while I tell this poisonous tale. Ida and Jim open the coffin that is in a freshly dug grave. They remove the body and stashed it in a mausoleum. Earlier that night, Ida had slipped a good amount of arsenic into her husband Ed's whiskey, and the pair figured they could put his body in the coffin and no one would ever think to look for him in a grave. The two wanted Ed dead so they could get married, and also Ida would inherit all the money from the stingy old meanie. She had tried poisoning him with arsenic before, but didn't give him enough. That night, they saw Ed drink the poison whiskey, so surely he is dead by now. Surely. They went back to Ida's home to get Ed's body, but found Ed alive and drinking even more. When Ida had tried to poison him in the past, it must have built up his tolerance. Jim had to run back to the cemetery to fill in that grave again. It was a lot of hard work. He remembered how shocked he was to hear not dead Ed's voice. It shook him. Ida noticed Jim's nervousness too. Hopefully he wouldn't freak out. In the morning, Ida called Jim. She told him that tonight she'll give Ed an enormous amount of arsenic in his dinner and they can do the plan again. Come by tonight and get his body. Also, please go out now and dig that grave up again. Thanks, bye. Jim dutifully did what she asked, but was upset at the whole situation. Why am I on grave digging patrol? This whole project is a mess. After the grave digging, Jim went to Ida's house and saw a body in a sack in the living room floor. He called for Ida, but there was no answer. Ah, he took the body bag, drove it to the cemetery, put it in the coffin, and reburied it. <sighs> then Jim went back to Ida's to get her. When he arrived, he found Ed, not dead at all. Ed realized Ida was trying to poison him, and he killed her with the same axe he is now hiding behind his back. It was her body in the sack on the floor Jim buried, and Ed came menacingly at Jim with an axe. Good luck, Jim. The end. I hope you enjoyed that grave tale. Jim and Ida are some unlucky killers. It's their own fault, really. I'm less than impressed by Ida and Jim's plan. Even if no one goes looking for Ed in the grave, eventually someone will notice a dead body in the mausoleum. Someone will eventually find it, identify it, and figure out who's buried in his grave. This is not a foolproof plan. I am also not sure if arsenic tolerance works that way. I'm not an expert on arsenic, but it sounds made up. 
I thought the plot was a little fussy, but you could really feel Jim's frustration that drove him to madness. And Ed, wow, you just can't keep a bad man down. Ghastly Graham Ingalls' art is perfect for any creepy tale. Proportions are exaggerated, lines are scratchy, and show creepy detail. Shadows are menacing. I love it. If you're interested in a copy of Tales from the Crypt Volume 1, the book can be purchased on Amazon, and you can find a link to buy it on the MKR website. I hope you enjoyed the story. My name is Jerry Green, and you can find me on my podcast, The Professor Frenzy Show, where we talk about new indie comics. And on the same feed, we have Memory Minute Monday, a nostalgia podcast, and Frenzy Peace Theater, where we recap and discuss classic comic book stories. You can also catch me on Twitter at Professor Frenzy and search for Professor Frenzy on YouTube where you can find The Professor Frenzy Show and some exciting projects we have coming up. Stay tuned and thanks for listening. Professor Frenzy, it's a show. Professor Frenzy Show. Professor Frenzy, it's a show. Professor Frenzy Show. drama that shocks you with hair-raising horror. Not one word is spoken on the screen. The strangest motion picture you have ever seen. Daughter of Horror. Hi, this is Jeff Owens from the Classic Horrors Club. And I'm Richard Chamberlain from kccinephile.com and monstermoviekid.wordpress.com. We'd like to invite you to attend the next monthly meeting of the Classic Horrors Club on the Phantom Podcast Network. We think you'll enjoy our show, but don't take our word for it. Let's ask some of our listeners what they think. Excuse me, sir. What did you say after listening to the Classic Horrors Club podcast? I'll never smile again. Wow, that's a little mean. How about you, sir? Would you recommend the Classic Horrors Club podcast? It would be very dangerous, not only for you, but for others. Well, we do talk about classic horror, from silent screen to Halloween and everything scary in between, but I don't think I'd call it dangerous. I think that's enough from our listeners. I've always said we have the, uh, best fans? Why don't you give us a try yourselves? We meet once a month during the Classic Horror Club podcast on the Phantom Podcast Network, found at downrightcreepy.com or at classichorrors.club. Oh, wait, here's one more listener walking his pet. What do you think of the Classic Horrors Club podcast? There's the stink of hell on this train. Even the dog knows it. At the edge of the universe, 400 men and women are probing the immeasurable blackness of space. Their leaders are an Earthman with no fear, and a stranger with no heart. Travel beyond our time and solar system into new galaxies, into worlds beyond your dreams. Star Trek, every week, in color, on the NBC television network.
Hello there, Monster Kid Radioheads. This is Kenny with a look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. Let's continue our issue-by-issue issue review of films covered with Famous Monsters number 12 from June of 1961. A beautiful Gogo's portrait of the star of one movie featured growls from the cover. It is Oliver Reed's Werewolf from 1961's Curse of the Werewolf. Inside, we find a six-page preview article with eight photos from the Hammer Classic. The text gives the entire plot of the movie, including this description of the ending. Don Alfredo reluctantly fires. The lethal pellet pierces the hairy body of the wolfman. Leon tumbles to the street below and... You must see for yourself the exciting, suspense-packed ending. Correct me if my memory is bad. I don't think there is much more ending to see for yourself. Also in this issue is a new feature called Inside Dr. Acula, where editor Forrest J. Ackerman gives a critical review of a movie. In this first edition, he chose I Was a Teenage Frankenstein. Here is some of what he had to say. I am a 41-year-old film reviewer, and I don't want to die, but I may have to. I have just seen I Was a Teenage Frankenstein. My question is, who can I sue, or whom, for infliction of cruel and unnatural punishment? What country will strike a medal for the Order of the Bloodshot Eyeball? Who will join me in the Holy Crusade for the establishment of the SPCC, the Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Critics? The word unique used to have a unique meaning, but rarely anymore. I have seen so many products, places, and people publicized as the most unique of their kind that I wouldn't be surprised to find some future Frankenstein film advertised as the most unique Frankenstein ever made which, in its wretched way, the teenage version is. At least I hope there'll never be another of its kind. Teenage is the most tasteless of all Frankenstein episodes. Mary Shelley never had it so bad. Well, I guess Foy didn't like I was a teenage Frankenstein. Also in this issue is the first of two parts of the John Cannibal short story, Who Goes There?, which was the basis for A Thing From Another World. There are pictures from the 1951 The Thing, though the story itself proves to be more of a preview of the 1981 version. The Thing has been covered on Monster Kid Radio, Curse of the Werewolf on 1951 Down Place, and I Was a Teenage Frankenstein, yet to be covered. And after Dr. Acula's review, we can just leave that one alone. That is all for this week's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. We will have more next week. For MKR, this is Kenny saying adios. Well, I'm just going to have to agree to disagree with Dr. Acula. I happen to really enjoy I Was a Teenage Frankenstein, and almost out of spite now, I want to talk about it here on the show, probably sometime in 2020. You can count on that. I mean, I dig it. It's Whit Bissell. Come on. Anyway, Kenny, thanks for always knocking it out of the park with this segment. I love it, man. I've been standing there for centuries. <laughs> yes, I suppose it seemed... Why, it's raining, but you're not wet. No, I'm not, am I? Uh, where are you coming from? I was watching a wonderfully terrifying double feature movie. I was a teenage Frankenstein in Blood of Dracula. Oh? Professor Frankenstein created a teenage monster to bring havoc and terror to all who meet him. But he left a few parts out, particularly in the poor lad's face. Uh, may we change and the subject? And the vampire in Blood of Dracula, quite unfriendly except when hungry, than any friend will do for a few ghastly moments. Please, I... Oh, here's where I must leave you. But there's nothing here but an old cemetery. Yes, I know. I want to meet some old friends here. 
after you see I was a teenage Frankenstein in Blood of Dracula, you might drop back here. We'll discuss the pictures to some length. <laughs> yes, yes, I'll do that! <laughs> Hello, this is Rod Barnett, the host of The Bloody Pit, the podcast about eclectic film from across the decade. On The Bloody Pit, we've covered Godzilla movies, Doctor Who movies starring Peter Cushing, The Outer Limits, Fu Manchu, Doc Savage, old radio shows, my favorite movies of all time, a Lucio Fulci film or two, 1970s science fiction movies, and a long series on the films of Italian maestro Antonio Margheriti. So if you're curious to learn a little bit about some of the stranger areas of cult film and television, join me and my rotating group of co-hosts on The Bloody Pit. You might even learn something about Coffin Joe. And that's scary, people. Very scary. ZK. Docking maneuver completed. Link up accomplished successfully. Starting rocket motors to continue flight. Over and out. Next step, Mars. 35 million miles away. Mission Mars. Three astronauts on a mission to the forbidden reaches of a red planet. Defying the elements. Inviting death and disaster. Darren McGavin, who gambled his life on a fantastic mission to a world no other living man had ever seen. Oh, darling, I'm so scared. Nick Adams, who shared the incredible odyssey, living an adventure beyond his wildest dreams. Mission Mars. They met their destiny on a planet that time forgot. An adventure that smashes the barriers of man's imagination. Watch out, the wall is opening! Help me! Mission, Mission Mars. Mars. I don't know how I've managed to do this, Monster Kid Radio listeners, but I've managed to surround myself with a number of amazing authors over the years. Authors and writers who get into the Monster Kid thing just as much, if not more so than me. And sometimes I even get to call them friends. One of them is Jim Beard. Jim, how you doing, man? Hey, good. Thank you very much. I, I have an answer for that question. Yeah? It's because you've created an incredible venue here. Kind of a, a safe <laughs> spot for people like me and, and others. We can feel comfortable being monster kids around you, Derek. <laughs> so that, that's exactly what it is. Oh, well, I, I appreciate that, I, I think. <laughs> I, I, 
No, you should. No, nah, I, I do. I do. I do. I, I love it. Well, and, you know, I'm a writer myself, so I, you know, I, I connect with people on that level. And then, you know, the Monster Kid thing. I mean, monsters bring us all together, whether you're an author, an artist, uh, you know, whatever, a filmmaker. I've got so many creative people that have been on Monster Kid Radio, and I'm glad that you're one of them because I love what you do. I have a lot of respect and enjoyment for what you do. Uh, I mean, you're keeping the monsters alive, man. I want to. Yes, I hope to. So we're going to talk about a couple of different things here uh, today. Now, this episode episode will be going out later this year because at the end of the year we do nothing but dan curtis stuff and i want to talk about dan curtis with you you know a night stalker and all that kind of thing but before we get into all that uh there's a book that you were involved with uh you started editing it and then you had to step away Uh, i'm assuming you still have material in musing on monsters yes um i'm actually doing the uh forward to it Oh, great. Okay. I created the idea. I pitched it to the publisher and I laid a lot of the groundwork and actually shepherded a lot of the essays. We were fairly deep into it when when I had to step down as editor. But um, I have this incredible duo who took over the editing chores and they are, are keeping me in the loop. Uh, on everything. And I can't wait to debut this book. I'm I'm so excited about it. So the editors on the project right now are Rich Hanley and Lou, is it Tambone? Did I pronounce that Tambone, right? Tambone, yes. Okay. Yeah. And, and I've worked with both these guys uh, before. Rich and I did one of my most favorite projects of all time together, which is the Planet of the Apes uh, fiction anthology called Tales from the Forbidden Zone. And I've worked on, on nonfiction books with Rich also, and he's just one of my most favorite collaborators. He was already in the book with an essay in the monster book, and then he agreed to take on the, the editor reins. It's funny, we've had a couple of different editors and things keep happening, but Rich brought in Lou, who he's worked with before, and I've worked with before too. It finally clicked. And, and everything seems to be going great on it right now. You said that one of your favorite things that you've worked on is the Tales from the Forbidden Zone, the Planet of the yeah. Apes anthology. That's one of my absolute favorite projects that you were involved with as well. I Thank l- you. I love, love Planet of the Apes. I am such a huge fan. So question for you, Planet yeah. of the Apes, science fiction or horror? Man, I think... Does it have to be one or the other? <laughs> Wait, I have wait, ladies and gentlemen, I have stumped Derek. I <laughs> was at a loss for words there. I don't know how many seconds that was, but <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll edit it to make it sound like a, no, just oh, no. Yeah, I'll cheat. Yeah, make me sound dumb. Yeah. No, no, no. Um, I, I think without the science fiction elements, you don't have the franchise. I mean, you've got to have that. Sure. But yep, absolutely. But there are so many horrific things that happen as well. I, I Isn't think, it though? Yeah. It's one of the most horrific setups of all. Trapped in this world where you are the only human who can talk and think for themselves and you're on the run from apes that want to kill you or dissect you. I mean, this is this is horror here. Yeah. In science fiction trappings. Yes, you're right. It couldn't exist without science fiction. But I love the question. I think and there is probably no real right answer to it, but I just I just love this question. It's tough. I mean, the traditional horror movie 
as long as you survive whatever's happening in the movie, you can kind of get back to your normal life. But there's no surviving this. There's no right. going back to your normal life. You are doomed from the beginning. I mean, it's almost, man. Yeah. Boy, I don't know. <laughs> food, food for thought, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's I, both. It's hyphenated. Yeah. I think the third one is probably a little bit more on the sci-fi than horror until you get to the end. And then it's like, oh, my God, what did they just do to that monkey? You know, I just, it's terrible. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> or ape, yeah, excuse uh, me. I know there's yeah. a difference. So, But uh, The Tales from the Forbidden Zone, it is an authorized collection of fiction all set within the planet of the apes milieu. And if I remember right, it also kind of, taps into or ties into some of the comics as well, doesn't it? Yeah, we were allowed to tap into the five original movies, the two television series, both the live action and the animated series. Oh, that's right. And the comic books. And in fact, what the comics is the the thing that we didn't tap into much at all. Um, and I think that was just because everybody involved was so excited to work with the movies and the TV series and that we kind of regretted not getting much into the comics. Had there been a volume two, we would have gone much more uh, into the, the world presented in the the original Marvel comics and then a lot of the stuff that, that came later. My own story actually has a segment that connects in with the more recent Boom series. Mm, okay. uh, because I actually love that series so much. And there is actually one segment of it that connects in it. And I think Rich actually touched upon the comics also in, in his story, too. You said if there had been a volume two, is there no chance for a volume two? Um, well, <laughs> at this time, no. Okay. Uh, we went down that road and we, um, we actually put together a, a new author list. And we had just a couple of, of returning authors from volume one. And we had just, we thought, some just really incredible uh, new authors coming in. And I say new, I'm, I mean seasoned professionals. There was a couple there that I was really stoked about. And one in particular who you would never think of writing something like a Planet of the Apes story. And we were very excited about it. And then kind of nothing. So the publisher just kind of didn't seem to be interested in, in pursuing it, uh, which was a shame because that's usually the one thing that everybody said to us was, when is volume two coming out? That, that is too bad. But I mean, we've got this great collection of stories. Yeah. Uh, and I know that's not why we scheduled a chat today, but oh, I, it, it's, it's I just know, awesome. We're way, <laughs> we're way, well, that happens. You, you get me going on Planet of the Apes and I, and I could wax poetic for quite a while, but um, uh, musing, musing on monsters, Yes, right? yes, right, yes. Right. Musing on monsters, okay. yes. Um, <laughs> so it's a collection of uh, essays, it looks like. Uh, not yeah. necessarily fiction, but like essays talking about the love of monsters. Observations yeah. on the world of classic horror is the subtitle. I'm back uh, with uh, Sequart, the publisher that's doing it. Um, in fact, my what I considered to be my first real book was with them, the um, Gotham City 14 Miles, which was 14 essays on, on why the 66 Batman TV show matters. I, I kind of wanted to do something sort of in that same vein, but, but with monsters. I wanted to do a monster book all along. I did a, uh, a G.I. Joe book mm -hmm. last year. Uh, which was essays by kids, uh, adult kids who grew up with G.I. Joe through the 60s through the 80s. And that was the way I wanted to do the monster book. And I actually pitched it as a monster kid project, which is let's all talk about how we all grew up with 
monsters from the 50s up through basically about 1975. We didn't really want to, you know, go past that because then you're getting into what I would call more modern horror. Sheckler, and I understand that they weren't really interested in doing that. They wanted it to be uh, less memoir and more an examination of classic horror. And I regrooved it, you know, a little bit. And the cool thing is, is that that idea is still somewhat within what everybody's doing. We told everybody, if you get to a point in your essay where you want to bring in yourself and your own experience, that's great. Please do that. Today, I was looking over our lineup, the the essay topics and the authors, and, and I got all excited about this book again. We are covering all aspects of classic horror. And I think some of it is actually going to surprise some people. There's stuff in there that you might expect, and there's things in there that you might not expect. You know, I'm looking at the uh, description of the book on the Sequart organization's website. And I mean, you, you mentioned Dracula, Frankenstein's mummy, the, oh, excuse me, Frankenstein's mummy. There's a story for you. Frankenstein. Wait. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, that was my exact thought. Oh my God. Thanks for that. Thanks for that idea. God, I, I might write that one. Come on. <laughs> uh, I'll fight you. Oh, oh, oh okay. How about, why don't we collaborate? How about that? Okay. You, you down with that? Okay. So Dracula, Frankenstein's monster, the yeah. mummy, and then you go to the cat people. So, you know, it's not just the classic universal canon. No. You've got the cat no. people. You talk about the devil. So this looks like it's going to be a lot of fun and really speak to, well, me. So thanks for putting starting this book for me. I really appreciate it. This book it. is all for you. <laughs> <laughs> it's what we call a limited audience. <laughs> well, it's a niche. It's a niche book. <laughs> <laughs> You've got some great authors too here. I mean, just some of the friends of the show, even Frank Schilder is in the book. I mean, it's great. Frank, he's sort of my, like a doppelganger of me. <laughs> I have used Frank more than I think any other author. He is in so many of my projects. And, and I love it because he's interested in so many different things. And, you know, he's always just so fun to work with that he, he's my go-to guy. But yeah, we told everybody that obviously Universal Monsters, Universal's on the table, and, and that's it sure. does somewhat dominate the book. But there's also Hammer in this book. Uh, Val Luton, you know, is represented uh, in this book. And this is fun. There's actually Godzilla oh. in, in this book. Yeah, wow. that's Rich. We were talking about Rich Hanley. Rich, he wanted to talk about the Showa series okay and i said go for it and and he plunged into it and just a really fun essay just real briefly trying to suss out the continuity between those uh, i think it's what what is it 14 films however many showa in the showa series there is and i said what you know that way lies madness like what are you talking <laughs> about continuity but you know there's about as much continuity in between the universal monster movies you know the, the frankenstein you know series or, or the wolfman ones that right then there is in the godzilla films but uh he he tackled it and uh, i think it's going to be a really fun essay uh, for people to read and everybody out there may at this point be wondering like how what is there left to say about universal monsters but these authors really just went into it wholeheartedly and dug into uh, and I, I think it's just going to be a really fun read obviously anybody who's a monster fan is going to love this book anybody who's just a film fan in in general 
We talk about TV and we talk about comic books where there is an essay just about horror hosts. Oh, excellent. In both comic books and TV. Oh, good. So you like the EC comics, the, the Crypt Keeper and the, the whatever, the witch. Yeah, so yeah. Not only the fictional, you know, Cain and Abel, not only the fictional uh, uh, ones, but then, of course, the, the TV host, too. Nice. So, so that I'm really excited about, too. That sounds amazing, uh, Jim. That just, I mean, the, the lineup of people, what you're telling me about it, man. I, I know the book's probably not going to come out until next year at some point. Yeah, it's, it is going to be 2020. But, hey, you know, um, if anybody out there wants to see it as soon as possible, just drop Sequard a, a, a note and tell them how much you're looking forward to this book i can't promise that it will speed things up but i think it's always great when a you know when a publisher knows that their audience is just ready and willing to uh drop a, a couple bucks on this book oh yeah Here, here's one i have to tell you about i'm gonna leave some surprises or whatever okay. but I, I have to tell you about it <laughs> this is great i almost wish i had tackled this one myself we have an essay about the adams family versus the monsters okay <laughs> Excellent. That's that's awesome. That's actually one of the questions in the classic five desk. Which which do you prefer, the monsters or the oh. Adams family? What do you think? What do you prefer? Oh, the two? Well, there's only one answer to that. I'm sorry. Well, what what is the answer? It's the monsters. Obviously. Really? Wow. Yes. Almost everybody I ask that question of goes to the Adams family, but you wow. went to the monsters. Wow. Okay. You know, part of the reason is because the monsters are the universal monsters. That's true. You know. You know. And it's not like I dislike the Adams family. In fact, I really like the Adams family. But to me, they're other than Lurch, they're not traditional monsters. Sure. You know, by watching the monsters, I get the Frankenstein monster, I get Dracula, Werewolf, you know, all that. Even the creature from the Black Lagoon is a cousin, you know, of the monsters. <laughs> Gilbert. In that. Yep, Gilbert. And, yeah. <laughs> And it's the actors, too. And again, that's not to put down anybody that's in the Adams family at all, because they're all great actors, too. But sure. Fred Gwynn as, as Herman Munster is one of my most favorite fictional characters of all time. He's just this he's an incredible character and he's multi-layered and and a lot of people probably don't think of it like that they think he's just a dummy you know but for one thing he's one of the sterling examples of a tv father that's a vein that runs through that entire series is his fathering of eddie yeah it's true that's uh, true and being a good husband to it's you know obviously there's Adams family values well there's also Munster's family values too, <laughs> um, but that's going to be a, a fun fun essay. I, I love the title of it. It's Robert uh, Jashanik, and he calls it "Hippie Freaks in Monstrous Clothing: The Adams Family versus the Munsters." Nice. Yeah. Oh, that sounds cool. So I guess the next question I would have is, Jim, how long before you put together a book just about the monsters? <laughs> I would love to do that. Here's what I would really love to do. And this is this is I can tell you is never going to happen is, is I actually want to write a novel of the Adams family versus or not versus the meets the monsters. Oh, yeah, versus there you go. There you go. I actually have this outlined, <laughs> but. This is probably never going to, you know, happen. I'm sure the rights issues alone would would be a nightmare, and uh, <laughs> and uh, 
you know, and I'm sure a publisher would tell me that there's no audience for such a book. But uh, I, I've got it all worked out in my head, this entire story of these two families meeting. And uh, let me just say this. What it would be is a class struggle. Oh, I'm just I'm just going to leave it right there. Huh. So maybe maybe somebody who who's an influential somebody who listens to your show has the power to make this happen. There you go. Give me a call. <laughs> I want to read this. Somebody, know, somebody I, get a hold I of write it. Yeah. I want you to read it. <laughs> so Universal is the one with the rights for the monsters, I believe. Yes. Uh, yep, but I don't absolutely. know who's got the Adams family these days. Yeah. You know what? I'm not really sure of that either. And I'm trying to picture the, like the beginning of the show in my mind. And I, I, I can't even remember what studio that is. They're definitely not the same. Right. Uh, you know, rights holders. Huh. I love this idea so much. And this is one of those things that I love about chatting with other monster kid creatives. Cause we end up going down these paths and these opening up these rabbit holes and getting lost in what would happen if Gomez met Herman. I mean, that would be amazing. I want to see that interaction. <laughs> yeah. When, yeah. I mean, you just picture the two of them together uh, mm -hmm. and, and a world of possibilities opened up. And it's not just the idea of the the e equivalence meeting, but other mixing up. Uh, Lily meeting Morticia is, is a great thought right sure. there. But you have to ask yourself, who's the equivalent of Marilyn in, oh. the, in the Adams family? Man, I don't know. Oh. It's Grandpa and Fester, you know. Uh, unfortunately, Eddie's got a tag team to go up against. Right. Of Wednesday and, and Pugsley. Huh. I don't know about Marilyn. That's, oh man. Grandmama? <laughs> huh. And now my brain's kind of spinning thinking, man, you know, we're talking about these Herman versus Gomez. I just want to hang out at the slumber party with Eddie, Wednesday, and Pugsley. I just want to see how that night goes, you know? <laughs> I, just, I know. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that, isn't that an amazing thought right there? Man. All right. Well, somebody somebody out there, make that happen for us. Please grant this Monster Kid's wish. All right. <laughs> and and one last thought on this, and here's another reason why I always side with the, with the Monsters, okay. is I wouldn't mind going over to their house. And, in fact, I would like to stay there, you know, for a little while. Mm. I think staying at the Adams family house would be dangerous. <laughs> I, th <laughs> I think there's a very, you know... I think there's a very good chance that you could get hurt or killed even, you know, there. I would much rather stay with the monsters. <laughs> I think you're absolutely right. Exactly. <laughs> so, all right. Well, you know, if that ever happens, man, you know, I, that that's like the pinnacle right there. I would love to see that happen. Yeah. I would just probably retire as a writer after that. <laughs> Until then, though, maybe, you know, if you ever do like a collection of essays about the monsters, ring me up because I'd love to contribute. Okay. I, you know, I'd have to kind of come up with a good hook for that. And I'm not sure right now you know, how many essays there are in that or do it as a, a nonfiction book of essays on both the Adams family mm. and the monsters. There you go. Yeah. Huh. No, either way, this sounds like a lot of fun. And, yes. you know, since that is a question from the Classic Five deck, why don't we go ahead and finish out a round of the Classic Five with you, Jim? Sure. And I, good. I, <laughs> I always look forward to this. I, I love this. All right. Well, I, I won't count that one as one of the five. So we have okay. you know, five of all them right. for us. So, all right. Okay. For listeners who don't know, the Classic Five game is a, a game that we play here with listeners that come on the show. I call it an icebreaker, a conversation starter, but 
like Jim and I really need help in that regard. Uh, but what it is, it's a deck of cards. Each card has a question on them that has to do with classic monster movies. There are no wrong answers. Jim, are you ready to play? I am ready for the torture rack. <laughs> All right, here we go. Card I mean, I mean the, the, the five. Oh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> there should be like a bonus round called the torture rack in the classic five. Yeah. I'll, I'll work on that for Some next year. Screws. There, there you go. <laughs> All right, card number one. This comes from the Hammer deck. You mentioned Hammer earlier. Which movie do you prefer? Taste the Blood of Dracula or Blood from the Mummy's Tomb? Um, Dracula. You know what's funny is in the Hammer Mummy series, it's pretty much for me just the first one. Okay. Where, you know, in Universal, I think I really like them all. Mm -hmm. But, but yeah, once you get past the first one, which the first Hammer mummy film is incredible yeah i just it's funny i don't care much for the for the other one so yeah we're gonna go with dracula on this one okay yeah all right card number two what's your favorite classic 3d movie oh it will house of wax wow okay yeah interesting yeah, yeah vincent price house of wax oh definitely i had the gr- very great pleasure of actually seeing that in a theater a uh, long time ago, but in a, in a big theater, one of um, my my hometown's main theaters showed it and got to see it in 3D. So oh, wow. that was, you know, sitting in an immense theater, gigantic screen and having that ball and paddle come at you. is <laughs> really something. But yeah, it's got it's got to be House of Wax. Oh, watch out for your popcorn there, sir. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, right. <laughs> that, that one's good. I have seen that in the theater in 3D, and it's amazing. It is amazing. Yeah. Especially when you realize the director couldn't see 3D. He only had one eye. So how crazy <laughs> that he's able to pull that off and make it so good. Or maybe and that's why did. it is so good, because yeah. you know, he yeah. wasn't focusing on the gimmick. Yeah, good point. All right, card number three. What is your go-to film if you wanted to introduce someone to kaiju movies? Wow. Out come the thumb screws. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm on the rack. Um, wow, to introduce someone to God, you, wow. I've got to resist saying Godzilla versus the Smog Monster because I just watched it the other night, <laughs> and but and for the first time I saw the Japanese version. I had only ever seen the Amer the American version. I actually saw it as Godzilla versus Hedera. And uh, what an insane, insane movie. But that would be a poor one to try to hook somebody on because once they were hooked, then there's nothing else like it. Um, that's true. For better or worse, that's absolutely correct. Yeah. I uh, I am going to say, wow, I, I almost want to say destroy all monsters. Mm. Uh, you know what? That might be like too much too soon. For somebody, too many monsters. So he, uh, I'm going to say Ghidorah, the three-headed monster. Oh, okay. Yeah, tomorrow it may, it may be a different answer to that. But uh, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to go with Ghidorah because you're, you're getting just four, just four giant monsters. But but what you know what a, a tussle that is. Yeah, I'm going to definitely say that. Okay. Today. 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 Are you going to get the uh, the big set that's coming out from Criterion? I don't know because I have so many. I have all but two of the Showa series on, on DVD because at this moment in time, there is no current 
disc of uh, Son of Godzilla and Godzilla versus Mecha Godzilla. Right. Yeah, it's like to get those, I would I would have to. I don't know. I I'm I don't know. <laughs> I'm on the fence on that one. I keep going back and forth on it myself. I you know I mean I, I've seen all those movies. Do I need it as a Blu-ray? Yeah. Criterion does a great job though, and special features, and yeah, I don't know. Are they given? Are they given both the English and the Japanese versions? I believe so, and I believe the King oh. Kong versus Godzilla is going to have the, the Japanese version on there as well. So oh, let's see, uh, this is yeah, because yeah, that I, I don't have all of the Japanese versions, so uh, I might have to do that. Yeah. Uh, all right, all right. Card number four. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who's your favorite horror host? Oh, it's Sir Graves Ghastly. He's my horror host. See the one you grew up with? Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, today it's Sven Gulli, of course, but um, yeah, it's it's always going to be Sir Graves Ghastly because that's just a, an incredible moment in my childhood, and he's the one that pretty much introduced me to classic horror films. You know, Universal Monsters and some Hammer uh, in there. So uh, yeah, it's definitely Sir Graves. Oh, right on. Very cool. Sven Gulli's the guy on the air right now, the, the one with the widest reach, but there are so many hosts working on the internet these days. More power to these people for, for keeping this genre a, a, alive, you know, and I've said that about Sven Gulli all along, uh, to, you know, he's hitting 40 years of doing this and, and keeping that whole horror host thing going, you know, I give him so much credit. Yeah, they're doing good work. All right, final card. Jim, who else could have or should have played a mad scientist? Oh, sh- you know, here, I'm waiting for the multiple choice. Um, <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Just <laughs> No, I have to come up with it. Yep. Who should have who should have played a mad scientist? Yeah. Wow. You know, um, it might have been fun to see what Lon Chaney Jr. could have done Ooh. with that idea. You know, we all have kind of pigeonholed him as a certain type, but he did break out of that type in in Son of Dracula. So maybe that just uh, another step away from that. He's been under the thumb of the mad scientist, but, you know, that would be interesting to see him as one, too. Yeah, I'm going to go with Lon, Lon Jr. That would be a lot of fun to see. Yeah. Well, there we go. It's the classic five. I made it through. There you go. You survived. Only slightly scathed. <laughs> All right. So we talked about a book that's coming out. Let's talk about a book that's out now. Yeah. Let's talk about Kolchak, the Night Stalker, getting the novel treatment from you in a book called Kolchak, The Last Temptation from yeah. Moonstone. I got to ask. Yeah. You're a huge fan of Kolchak, I assume. Uh, when was the first time? Did you watch it when it first aired? Or like, how did you first discover Kolchak? Yeah, I did. And I talk about this. I, there's, um, it's a novella, and, and then there's a big essay that comes after the novella in the book. And I talk about my personal history with the character and then, and then how this particular novella came to be. But I really had to kind of search my memories because I'm not sure who in my family would have been watching Kolchak and I'm pretty sure it was probably my sister my older sister I could see her tuning into that show and I didn't have the strongest memories of watching it originally the memories I did have was it scared the crap out of me 
And uh, <laughs> I won't ruin it too much for people who might delve into into my book, but I had this one fairly strong memory of a scene in one episode. And I did not know up until the writing of that essay what that episode was. I had watched a lot of Cold Shack as an adult, but I had not come across that particular episode. Mm -hmm. And I had purposefully not sought it out. And what I did is in the middle of writing that essay, I actually stopped, started doing a search, and then I actually find it. And watched it, and then I come back to, and I started back with the essay, and told everybody what the episode was, and in, if my memories differed from <laughs> at all. So it's kind of fun. Like I get to a point in the essay where, where I say, "Okay, folks, I'm I'm actually stepping away from the laptop at this moment, and when we meet again, I will have found this episode." And then I have an actual, I drop down a space, and I say, "Okay, we're back." Here's what it is. That was really fun because that was really my strongest memory uh, of the show. I, I had not seen the uh, the two TV movies. Oh, okay. Originally, I had seen the the series originally, and I knew at some point as I got older, I knew that there was those two TV movies. But it wasn't until I met my wife. And she was already a Kolchak fan and a very big fan of those first two TV movies, especially the first one, that she said, we got to watch these. And, and that's when I really fell in love with the, with the first TV movie. I was very lucky because my fictional story, my novella, it actually picks up threads from that uh, first TV movie. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And the yeah. first TV movie, I feel like, I mean, they're, they're all great. I mean, I love the series. I love both movies. The first TV movie is, is kind of an, maybe anomaly isn't the best word for it, but it's so different in terms of where he's at. Like he, cha he moves after that. I mean, he leaves town. Yeah. Cause he's in, he's in Las Vegas in that first one and he's somewhere else in the second one. And then in the show, he's in Chicago. He's kind of all over, but I love it. I mean, I, I love the series yeah. so much. I was a very late comer to the whole thing. When did you first come across? Just a couple of years ago, to be completely honest. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was pretty new to Night Stalker. I was pretty new to a lot of Dan Curtis in general. Oh, okay. Like Dark Shadows, I didn't watch until a couple of years back. Yeah, see, see, that's my that's my wife again. She was, you know, one of those. I ran home from school to watch Dark Shadows kids. Oh, nice. Yeah, and uh, her whole family watched it together. Now, it was on at my house. My mother watched it, but I remember this, and I was pretty I was pretty young. I was born, born in 65, and, and Dark Shadows only goes up to 71. Mm -hmm. um, I was pretty young, but I know I remember it being on, and I remember being in the living room and playing and my mother doing housework. She didn't actually like sit down and really concentrate on it, but she had it on. And I remember that. And again, I didn't really truly get to see the show until uh, I met my wife. And uh, she had some really, really bad videotapes that, oh, some, you yeah. know, she had taped or somebody had given her. And we watched a, and it was only just a couple of episodes. And we watched a few of those. And, and then one year, the Sci-Fi Channel, when it was actually spelled S C 
C-I-F-F-I. Yeah. Was showing the entire series beginning to end. She had never seen the pre-Barnabas stuff. Oh, wow. So that was pretty exciting for her. We watched that sucker from beginning to end every single day. So, you know, I can actually say I've seen every single episode of, of that show and I became a fan. I, I never will be as big a fan as she was, but, I, you know, I became a fan of it. In fact, uh, me and a friend of mine named Charles Rutledge actually pitched a Dark Shadows fiction anthology. Oh, wow. And unfortunately, you didn't get that uh, picked up. But um, can you imagine that? Oh, boy, that'd be a lot of fun. That would, that would have been intense oh but, yeah but anyways so um you know that first i wanted to remember to say this that first kolchak the tv film mm-hmm. uh with the vampire if you just kind of set aside that it's kolchak for a moment to me it is one of the best vampire films of all time oh wow and i don't think it gets credit for that it really is a wonderful wonderful vampire film. i mean if anybody out there loves vampires and vampire films and everything and has never seen that i urge them to to watch it you know it's actually pretty creepy yes it's very early 70s you know and i get that but i don't think that that really matters i think it's just really one solid good vampire film I agree with you. I think it's a phenomenal vampire story, whether it's Night Stalker or not. I mean, it, it is creepy. And I think the 70s element, the lower budget 70s element actually adds to it a little bit. Uh, makes it, yeah, yeah, it makes it maybe a little more, you know, visceral. We're talking about, you know, seeing Polchak as a kid and then seeing it as an adult. And, and what really kind of changes, and you're talking about his the locales changing, what really kind of changes when it goes into the series, and I really picked up on this during uh, my re, my most recent re-watching of, a, of episodes uh, when I went into writing this story, is that there's much more humor in the series. And in fact, I was kind of surprised how humorous it was. I... I didn't pick up on that at all as a kid. Um, huh. You know, the, you know, I mean, I that was just, it was terrifying, you know, uh, of a show. I had no idea that there was, you know, that Darren McGavin was actually funny in it or, or anything <laughs> like that at all. You know, you know, to me, it was just, a, you know, a creepy monster horror show. But yeah, it's so, you watch it and, and just the amount of humor in it, uh, even, you know, verging on slapstick at, at times. For, for me, really, the, the draw of that show is, is Dare McGavin. Oh, and yeah. again, I talk about that in, in my essay. It's kind of hard to take when you look into it more and you find out that it was him that really pulled the plug on that show. It is disappointing when you, yeah. you know, I've heard that as well. And I feel like that's a show that really had legs and could have gone on and on for a while. Yeah. But yeah. What we've got is gold, though. What we've got is fantastic. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. No, if you look at it like that, it's it's one of those things that this perfect storm or, or, or whatever, and it's a it's a finite thing. It's it's like me and the 60s Batman series, which is my favorite TV show of all time, bar none. Um, you know, people say like, well, what if it went on to a fourth season and could it have done this and that? And honestly, who, who really knows? But what we have is this finite thing that, that I can look at and watch 
doesn't take that long, you know, to watch all three seasons. And it's just this thing. It's like, who could say it, it started to fall apart in the third season? Who could say it could have really have fallen apart in the fourth season? That's yeah, true. So many shows that have, be, that have gone on to be legendary are very short-run shows. Star Trek, three seasons. Batman, three seasons. The Munsters, two seasons. Kolchak, one season, and really barely even that. It's not even a. I don't even think it's a full season. Yeah, I don't think so either. Of, of shows, the Jetsons. When I was little, I thought that there were hundreds of Jetsons episodes. Here it turns out it's not even really a full season. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, but, it, you know, the Jetsons are legendary now. So I'm, I'm thinking more and more that these shows that kind of burn bright for a little bit and then they burn out and they're gone. It's almost for the best. And, and it seems to me that those are the ones that that people gravitate to and, and legends grow out of. Adam's Family. Yeah. How many theatrical, you know, movies of it? And what is it? I think it's just. Two seasons. Yeah. I mean, there's a new yeah. movie now. I mean. Yeah, right. Exactly. You know, and, and here we are. And and Kolchak's another one of those things, you know, a brief flame, you know, flickering for a moment and, and gone out. But we still are talking about it and riffing on it to this day. And there were some great names attached to it creatively. I mean, Jimmy Sankster did an episode. You know, yeah. I mean, that legendary hammer guy, you know, Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale did a story for him. I mean, it's, it's yeah. fantastic to look at some of this uh, and see some of the people that were involved. And then my first exposure to Darren McGavin, of course, was a Christmas story because watched sure. that all the time as a kid. So to, sure. to see him do more mature, sophisticated type horror or, or spooky stuff, I mean, he really was good. He was really good. And it's too bad. Yeah. But maybe you're right. Yeah. Maybe the 20 episodes we have and the two movies that's all we need. If something had gone further, maybe it would have fallen apart. Who knows? Sure. It's sure. hard to say. The, the other sad aspect of, of him putting the character behind him is that uh, supposedly he was asked by Chris Carter to revisit the character of Kolchak for X-Files. Right. As we all know, X-Files, you know, one of its main inspirations was Kolchak that uh, McGavin didn't want to do that. He's in, he's in an episode but he, what is he he's like? He's an FBI agent or, or something like that in it. But that's when you have to sit there and think of what could have been, you know, uh, Carl Kolchak meets you know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Fox Mulder and, and Dana Scully. Well, that would have just that would have been. Yeah, <laughs> that would have been amazing. I could just, you know, see Kolchak going, ah, I've seen this all before. <laughs> yeah. Back when I was an agent in the field, this is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. My, my understanding is that when it comes to the rights of the Kolchak character, uh, Jeff Rice, who wrote the original novel that the movie was based on, he owns the literary rights, but then the studios own the TV. Are you aware of how that breaks down or where that is? That is my understanding. Okay. Yes. Interestingly enough, the covers of all the Moonstone comics and prose works, and they've been doing Kolchak for a while now, can all be Darren McGavin. But beyond that, as far as I understand it, yes, you're right. Okay. In the copyright uh, information of my novella, it, it cites Rice. Okay. And I don't think it cites whoever, whatever studio it was. And I don't want to ruin anything. I don't want to spoil anything. But there is an aspect, again, in the 
novella that I would have liked to have been on the cover, but we couldn't. Oh, okay. Because of rights issues. Okay. So they only can do Darren McGavin. All right. Fair enough. And, uh, yeah, that that was uh, very interesting. And interestingly enough, in the Moonstone Kolchak universe, he's sort of detached in time, meaning it's not set in the 70s. It's not concretely set in the 70s. It's supposed to be more timeless than that. That was one of my first questions going into it to the publisher uh, was, uh, so this is set in the 70s, right? And he's like, no, no, these are, you know, do not set it, you know, in the 70s. Carl doesn't work for INS anymore uh, in it. He has worked for INS in the past, but in their current thing that he doesn't work for them. He, he works for, shoot, I think it's uh, like a, uh, he's in Hollywood. I think it's like some kind of Hollywood scandal rag. Oh, wow. Okay. That he works for. But but in my novel, uh, he goes to New York. Uh, one of the things that I really found intriguing in the TV, the first TV film, is when they rattle off all the places that Kolchak has been kicked out of. <laughs> yeah. He's been run out of town how many times? And they run through this litany, you know. And one of them is New York. And I love New York City and anybody who's read my stuff knows that I tend to go back to New York City a lot. I can't tell you right now how many different stories I, I, I've written that are set in New York City because I love New York City. <laughs> um, and uh, so I, I thought, well, I want to do Kolchak running around the Big Apple. Nice. And so that's what it is, you know, and he, you know, it even go when he goes back, he even says, you know, something about this is his old stomping grounds and he's familiar with the, and I, you know, I had a lot of fun. There's a lot of, you know, real places on, in Manhattan that are mentioned uh, in the course of the story. I think it's easier to have that more timeless vibe in a novel because in a TV series, no matter what you do, it's going to be dated. You're going to be able to, you can't have, time, sure. you know, so that's, that's, that's cool that you're able to do that in the, uh, yeah. you know, in and literature. It's, so. it's not that hard to do. It's more like what you don't say. There's a scene where Kolchak has to call Vincenzo on the phone. But I don't say he took his phone out of his pocket and called Vincenzo. It just says he made a phone call. There you go. And he's standing on the street. Well, you know, it's it's one of two things. Let the reader f figure it out or picture it for themselves. Is Kolchak on a cell phone or is he in a, a phone booth on the streets of, of New York? It doesn't really matter right? Uh, at all. You just have to watch out for topical references and, and make sure that if you put anything in there like that, that it's something more universal. I mentioned a John Lennon song. So we're still talking about John Lennon songs today. Sure. And it doesn't necessarily have to be. You know, something said in the 60s or 70s or so it's not that it's not that hard to do. And, and you let the readers kind of fill it in for themselves when exactly it's set, if that even matters to them. Hopefully sure. the story is going to move along and it and it doesn't you know matter. But one thing that's constant is uh, is how Kolchak is dressed. <laughs> <laughs> he's always going to be dressed the same you know this is a thing that I had a little fun with one of the characters uh, and it refers to Kolchak as a vision and seersucker <laughs> <laughs> you know he still has that hat and he still has that suit and he still is carrying that same camera that he's always carrying you know those are things you just can't you know change you've got to have those right. so that's you awesome don't mess with, you don't mess with 
cla- the classics. There you go. There you go. I don't want to spoil the story. Obviously, we want people to read it. But can you tell us a little bit about what the story is and kind of tease us a little bit? Elevator pitch style. Yeah, Kolchak gets called on uh, on the phone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're not saying whether it's a cell phone or not. But, <laughs> no, he gets a call. He gets a call uh, from a friend of his who, interestingly enough, is is Pat Novak, which is a character from a radio drama uh, back in the day that Moonstone has actually done other uh, work with. Oh, wow. Um, and Pat Novak was played by, oh, my God, why am I drawing up the Dragnet guy? You know. Uh, uh, oh, boy. Isn't that terrible? I could have told you that like 30 seconds ago before you said the dragnet guy. Now I can't think of. <laughs> Joe Friday. But, that, you know, yeah. Uh, uh, um, isn't that, uh, that's terrible. Uh, uh, you'll have to insert it later. But anyways, that's who played Pat Novak in the radio Jack drama. Jack Webb. Jack Webb. Jack Webb. Uh. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> He's spinning in his grave right now. Um <laughs> Pat Novak and Kolchak know each other. They're friends. Pat Novak has uh, something that's going on. He's in New York City. He calls Kolchak. He demands that Kolchak come to New York City because Pat Novak needs help. Once Kolchak gets there, he starts looking into a case that Novak has been working on. Novak is a private investigator. And he comes across this very strange philanthropic organization in the steel canyons of of New York City. And he also comes across something that he thought he'd lost forever. Oh. And therein lies the tale. It could be an episode. I did actually have one person tell me that they they felt like they were reading, you know, a new episode of the show. But it's also it's also a very personal story, which you don't really get in the T V series. It's not things that are uh, impacting Carl's personal life. Okay. And this is this is a very personal story, uh, and Kolchak tells us that at the beginning of the story. I, every chapter opens up with his narration, just like in the show, and he tells us that that unlike some other stories of his, that this one is personal. Oh, okay. And uh, we go from there. And the cover we talked about, Darren McGavin is on the cover. And is that Mark Maddox? It is Mark Maddox. He's great. Oh my He's goodness. Great. That I got a Mark Maddox cover for Kolchak. And I got to tell you, I asked for Mark. Oh, yeah? I know he had done work for Moonstone before, and I, I believe he'd done Kolchak work. I said to the publisher, I said, pie in the sky. I said, I'd love to have mark maddox do the cover and uh the publisher was open to that idea and i had actually been talking to to mark also and saying you know i'm, I'm writing this kolchak book and boy he got all excited he's like oh he said i really want to do kolchak again he was telling me he's like you know keep me in mind and put in a good word for me and wow stuff like that. And Hey, I've already done that. I've already told the publisher that 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 would be, you know, you are the first and only choice as far as I'm concerned. I mean, I would obviously have taken whatever I could have gotten, but that came out that just came out better than I ever imagined. And I am so thrilled to have a Kolchak book with a Mark Maddox cover. That is so cool. It's beautiful. He's somebody that I've been we've kind of been circling each other over the years to try to get him on the show. 
and it's just the communication is just we never we never quite connect but i do meet up with him at monster bash when he's there and and we always lament how we haven't had him on the show yet but then you know he's a great artist rondo award-winning he owns the rondo award (laughs) i don't think they can give it to anybody else (laughs) i think maybe it became a law in in whatever state that is that has to go to mark maddox yeah, he actually. The last time he campaigned for it, he actually had my Kolchak cover in with the other things that he, you know, that he was showing off, you know, of what, you know, when he was campaigning for it. So I was very thrilled to see that. I gotta meet Mark in, in person one of these times. I gotta. Uh, one thing I gotta do is get to Monster Bash. Well, I hope that works out for you, man. I, and I and I hope this book does really well. I I've read a handful of the Kolchak novels, uh, some of the C.J. Henderson stuff, and I think there was a yeah. collection that came out a few years back too that I've read. Uh, but I'm, yeah, I'm eager. To, yes. Yeah, yeah, and I'm, I'm eager to see your t- or read your take on it. This is the first time you've written the character, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, and um, you know he was kind of in my my bucket list of fictional characters to write, you know, a tie in for, so I can, I can cross that one off (laughs) now. And I, and I got to tell you, as of right now, I've only heard from like maybe two people have reviewed it. The situation with that is, is it's not on Amazon where it's easy to, you know, lay down a review there, you know, other than, Oh, it's on Goodreads, you know, and but people don't tend to mm. use Goodreads like they do Amazon. Right. This book's but out. Please read my Kolchak yeah, novel. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, let's, let's, I'm trying to try and, trying to come up with a segue, but I don't have one. Uh, yeah, the Kolchak novel is out now. Is there anything coming up that you want people to know about that you can talk about? I'm really trying to get my next nonfiction Batman book done, and it's um, somewhat of a sideways sequel to Gotham City 14 Miles in that. Uh, I brought back a lot of the essays from that book. And what we're doing is it's going to be a three-volume set. Okay. And each volume is going to take a season of the 66 Batman show. Oh, nice. And every writer takes an episode and digs down into it with a hook. And this is what I really uh, love ab- about this. And it, it's really fun is I urged everybody to find a hook uh, as an entry point. Uh, so that we're actually seeing something new uh, about these episodes and uh, the writers really uh, grooved on it and and we got a fun book uh, coming out. So I'm hoping to get that done and out by uh, Christmas of, of this year, 2019, okay. and then hopefully uh, uh, the you know a volume a year. So volume two in 2020 and, and volume three in 2021. Fantastic. Well, you and I are friends on Facebook, so I'm sure I'll hear about it when new things happen. Please keep us posted, and we got to have you back on either to talk about a movie or another book. Or we can go back to our original idea from long ago about doing a giant monster film. No, we need to. We need to. Yeah. Right on, Jim. Well, thanks again. I really appreciate it. This has been a blast, and uh, man, best of luck with the books. Thank you very much. This is one of my most favorite podcasts. Oh man, thank you. Do yeah, I, I really enjoy it. And like you know, and I I'm not just uh, saying that you know with this venue that you've created to do this is is really good and important. And uh, you know, I know why people want to be on this <laughs> this show. <laughs> Well, I appreciate that, man. Thank you. You know, the show is only as good as the guests. So uh, thank you, sir. Let's talk a little bit more about Jim. Jim, 
thank you for being part of the show. And listeners, he just mentioned here on Facebook, he's had some medical things going on. So keep him in your thoughts. If you happen to see him on Facebook, just drop him a line, say hello, and check out his books. Now, I'm going to make sure there are links to his books that you can buy through Amazon. Please use the Amazon affiliate link because we get a penny or two back, help support the show, and you're helping to support Jim along the way. I'll make sure there are links to his G.I. Joe anthology, his Batman collection, the collection of essays he's talked about, the Planet of the Apes anthology, as well as a number of other things that I think Monster Kids might dig that Jim was involved with. Now, about the Kolchak novel. When we recorded that conversation, which was about a month or so ago, we didn't know the book would be out of print. So (laughs) unfortunately, the book is out of print right now. But I did talk to Jim earlier today, in fact, and he said, just keep watching the Moonstone website because they will be putting out another release. There will be another edition of the book coming. So stay tuned, sit tight. You will be able to get your hands on his Kolchak novel. And of course, pay attention to the Sequart organization's website, Sequart, Sequart, Sequential Art. I don't know how you pronounce it. I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes so you can keep up with what's going on with the Musing on Monsters book, because that also sounds fascinating. Jim, thanks again. And yeah, next year, let's do a giant monster thing. It'll be fun. Deidre. The three-headed monster battles Godzilla, Mothra, and Rodan for the world. All new, all never to be forgotten. See Ghidra, the three-headed monster. The curse of the mummy's tomb. A bandage and bone monster stalking the cryptomaniacs who defiled its tomb of terror. And the Gorgon. A she-monster who turns living, screaming flesh into silent stone. It's a two-for-one monster bazaar. Two terrific terrors for the price of one. With the never-before-offered special free bonus. Black stamps of your favorite monsters for the first 10,000 people in line. It's the curse, the curse of the mummy's tomb and the gorgon. He said the gorgon, both in petrifying color, you know, they will frighten you. But the room was quiet. Had it been a nightmare? What woke him? Was the candle in the antique mirror moving? Was there something standing by the curtains? Was he mad? The Crimson Cult. So terrifying, they won't let us tell you about it here. She'd wandered alone. The passageway between the walls was damp and musty. She dropped her candle. And then I heard it. Now she has no head. It happened in Horror House. I was there. A nightmare combination of shock and terror, and you're invited behind forbidden doors. Horror House stars Frankie Avalon and Jill Hayworth. The Crimson Cult features Boris Karloff and Christopher Lee. See them together for the first time, but don't see them alone. Rated GP. All 
right, well, that brings us to the end of this episode of Monster Kid Radio and week one of Dan Sember. I had a blast. I can't wait to see what else we've got cooked up this month. Actually, you know what? I already know what we got cooked up this month. Next week on the show, I've got a new voice, a new person to bring in here, a filmmaker by the name of Ansel Farage. Ansel directed the new movie, Loon Lake, and it has some connections to Dan Curtis through Dark Shadows. What do I mean by that? Well, just come back next week and you'll find out. And then later on this month, we're going to have Dominique Lamsey's back on the show. She and I are going to talk about the movie Night of Dark Shadows. And Steve Sullivan's going to be coming by to talk about the Norless tapes. That's what Dan Sember's got lined up for you this year. I am stoked. Before we get to all of that, though, let's go through some of the basics. You know what we talk about here, the website, monsterkidradio.net. That's where you're going to find everything you need to know about Monster Kid Radio. Our contact information is over there. Our email address is monsterkidradio at gmail.com, and we have a voicemail line set up where you can call and leave us a voicemail message at 503-479-5657. That's 503-479-5MKR. Please feel free to use either one of those contact methods to get a hold of us and let us know what you're doing to sell the holidays as a monster kid if you have any holiday greetings you want to share with the monster kid radio listening audience well send it my way and i'll get it out on the show you can also find links to our twitter and our facebook page and facebook group and the 2019 monster kid radio listener survey you can go directly to it by going to tinyurl.com slash mkr listen 2019 or like I said, just follow the link in the show notes and it'll take you to the page there. It's a Google document, a Google form. You don't have to fill out every answer, but you know, the more you fill out, the more I'm able to kind of know where things stand with Monster Kid Radio and you. I mentioned earlier the affiliate links that you can find on our website. That'll take you straight to Amazon to pick up a few items here and there for the holidays. You know, when we were talking with Jim earlier, we talked about that Criterion collection, the Godzilla set that came out earlier this year. There's even a link for that if you want to pick that up for yourself or for somebody on your Christmas list. I actually now have it. Brenda got it for me as an early birthday gift and it's, it's sitting right next to my TV. I'm looking at it right now as I speak. And you know what? Next week is my birthday. Maybe at some point I'll crack it open and take a look at a disc or two. It'll be fun. I'm looking forward to it. And I'll report back and let you know what I think, of course. And talking about Christmas, head over to SaintEuphoria.com. That is the home of the Mimiverse, the movies by Christopher R. Mim that we love here on Monster Kid Radio. You can sign up for a special holiday card from the Mimiverse over there, free of charge. Go over there and just fill in your name, your email address, and your mailing address, and you'll get a Christmas card in the mail. It's definitely something that you're going to want to get your hands on if you're a fan of what he does. I hold on to all of mine from the previous years. I've got them. I love them, and I can't wait to see what new design he's going to break out this year for the official Mimiverse holiday card. Also, over there, you can pick up any of the movies and even a St. Euphoria Films of the Mimiverse mystery box. Now, I don't know what's in the mystery box. I don't think anybody knows what's in the mystery box. I'd love to know what's in the mystery box. So if you end up buying one for yourself, call in and let us know what's in the box. You can pick up the box for $39.99. And there's supposed to be some exclusive items in the mystery boxes. So again, I'm real curious as to what's in the box. What's in the box? I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes so you can pick up your own box. Once again, thanks for listening, everybody. Remember, Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. 
All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0 unported license. Professor Frenzy's Bedtime Story is copyright 2019, Jerry Green. And the song Psycho Rodeo is copyright 2018, The Frogenstein. It comes from their album Tales from Planet Mono. You can find them at thefrogenstein.bandcamp.com. You can even find them on Facebook. However you track them down, let them know that you heard about them here on Monster Kid Radio. My name is Derek Kim Cook. Talk to everybody next week when I talk with filmmaker Ansel Farage. And oh yeah, I forgot to tell you what movie we're going to cover. Burnt Offerings. We'll be talking about that next week as well. (laughs) I'll talk to you then. Ciao. (laughs) 